Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host, John Carey. And we are here today bringing you the good news that UW has defeated Texas in the college football playoff semifinals, Um, along with some other news. We're going to talk college basketball in the state of Washington. We're going to talk Seahawks and their, what we said was unlikely loss to the Steelers. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we're going to break down a little bit of value dogs late in the pod. Um, But before we get into it, as always, a little coyote picnic. Seattle News. Let's talk about it. Uh, since we last talked, that was on Thursday, I believe, Thursday or Friday of last week, mm-hmm. and the Kraken had just won four straight games. We were talking about how they were on a roll, and they've played one game since then, the Winter Classic. Uh, they played it. It was an outdoor game at T-Mobile Park, actually, which was really cool to see so all, the, all the, like, kind of, did you see the fist, fish tossing over the, like, players walking? That, that, that stuff was so cool. <laughs> I don't know how locked into Twitter you are, so. Um, but they win that game 3-0 against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. What are your thoughts on that? Big, big. Their biggest win of the season by far. This uh, so far downer of a season began with a loss to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Um, and we've been chasing that, that 500 record of the <laughs> 0-0 start ever since. So um, this was big one. Brings us to five straight, seven in the last nine. Um, team's looking good. Defense is looking sharp. They're moving the puck around. Three goals. All three were assisted. One goal had two assists, which I have to admit, up until today, I did not know was possible. That's the hockey assist for you, baby. Correct. Um, so really good job moving the puck, you know, playing a little more team dynamic offense. But uh, a great win. A great win. And it was one win, but we're starting to stack them together. And that's what we will need to get out of the red. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Edmonton passes us in the Pacific Division standings, or I guess they tie us at 39 points total. Um, that's just because they've played a couple games since we last talked. We mm-hmm. jumped to four, but they have now rebounded. Um, yeah, a great game for the for the Kraken, and really, Decord had his best game probably his career with the shutout against a really good Vegas Knights offense. Yes. Um, yeah, him and the defense worked really well together. Yeah, so just a, just a really solid all-around game for the Kraken, and we look forward to their next game. I believe that's tomorrow against the uh, Senators. So that'll be that'll be a good one. Hopefully we can keep the streak going. Absolutely. Yeah, in college basketball news, the Gonzaga Bulldogs have yet to play since their tough defeat against San Diego State. But the new AP did come out, and they dropped from 13 to 24. And if you think, huh, that seems harsh for a loss against a top, you know, 30 opponent, uh, you're wrong. This has been a long time coming. It was a miracle of a miracle that they were still ranked in the top 15 and honestly, I didn't really understand it. 24 is where this team belongs. I hope we don't see them drop any further. <laughs> I'd love to see them finish maybe, I don't know, 19 in the country. But uh, they're not getting higher than that. So, um, yeah, tough loss, but we persevere. Um, what about the rest of the teams? Well, quick question. Did San Diego State make the top 25? I haven't seen it yet. You know, I was looking at it, and I don't remember seeing them, which was surprising to me because they were ranked you know, in Kempom, something like 32 before the win. Mm. Maybe that speaks to how other teams on that bubble played. Maybe it speaks to the <laughs> dwindling respect for this Gonzaga Bulldogs team. But uh, if they're not now, they certainly will be if they keep stringing together wins because they are probably in a similar realm to Gonzaga in terms of actual skill. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the high 20s. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of... Uh... I guess Pac-12 Washington schools, uh, a tough start to the Pac-12 conference play. They go 0-4 against Utah and Colorado combined. Um, UW really playing them tight. Uh, they had the lead against Colorado with five minutes to spare, I believe. They were up five, and Colorado kind of just turned on the Jets and uh, never looked back. As for um, the Washington State Cougars, that was a little bit different of a story. Cougars lose 74-67 against Colorado, and... 
KJ Simpson of Colorado scores 34 points against them. He kind of torched them. Yeah. Um, and he, he did well against the, the Huskies, but he definitely was feeling it against the Cougars. Um, and then they lose eight or they lose 80 to 58 to Utah. Um, just not really competitive in that one. And this is kind of what we were afraid of is they were playing some, some weaker opponents for Washington state and they, you know, things are, things are going to turn around now. They're coming back down to earth. They are looking forward to with bright shining eyes, the days of, uh, mountain West conference play. (laughs) Um, but yeah. Uh, anything else in the state you wanted to touch on before we quit burying the lead? Um, I do just want to touch on real quick the Pac-12 women's basketball, just in general, just in general. Uh, Let me just read to you just the records of all of the teams. Mm -hmm. I'm just 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 listen. Oregon State twelve and zero, UCLA twelve and zero, Stanford twelve and one, Colorado eleven and one, Washington eleven and one, Arizona nine and four, USC ten and one, Washington State eleven and three, California ten and three, Utah ten and three, Oregon nine and five, and Arizona State eight and five. That's 31 combined losses among 10 teams. Yeah. Um, and three in the top five. Uh, that is insane. That's amazing. Uh, obviously, those numbers are about to change drastically as... With conference play coming. As conference play starts to tear these teams up a little bit. But that's really great. I knew at one point UCLA was ranked three. I don't remember what Oregon State was at. What? What? Do you have those rankings? So I'm looking right now and... It says that Oregon State is unranked at 12 and 0 right now. Um, and you know that's not which impossible. Is very fair. Strength of schedule is huge and even more than in we were just talking about the Zags. The reason they were hanging around where they were is because of team kind of respect that's kind of been earned over years. In women's college basketball, that is a whole nother level. Um, those top programs, it takes a lot to get knocked down in in the minds of the voters and it takes a lot to raise your reputation, you know, obviously any 12 and 0 team D one, you know, 12 and 0 team would be ranked in men's basketball, but, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they paid, played a bunch of pancakes, but get a couple of pack 12 wins and that will change. Yeah. Currently UCLA is ranked number two. Colorado is ranked number five. Stanford is ranked number eight. USC is ranked number nine and Utah is ranked number 15. They have, That's they have what is that? Six schools in the top 15. The Pac-12 women's basketball right now, which is doing what Pac-12 men's football is doing. Yeah, it'll be a shame to to see that kind of dwindle as they play each other. But man, Pac-12 women's basketball is, is yeah. amazing right now. And you know, it's it's going to reduce because believe it or not, probably seven teams aren't actually top twenty-five teams in the country. But don't be surprised if you see something similar to Pac-12 men's football, where you know four or so teams really separate, and even though they will hurt each other. In a way, they'll all be so good, they'll raise the collective respect of the group. So uh, that'll be fun to see. We'll have to maybe try to catch the Oregon State-UCLA game and, and see how big that divide really Ooh, is. that'd be a good one. Uh, yeah, in other, in other sections of that, they haven't played since we last talked, since uh, the Huskies haven't played since they lost to Louisville. Um, and I believe the Cougars haven't played since they lost to Auburn, and both their games are on Friday. So... Nice. Big games against uh, Stanford coming up, number eight team. So that'll be it's a big weekend for the women's basketball. That'll be good. All right, John. As you said, let's stop bearing the lead. Let's let's get into it. Did something happened this week. What happened this week? I don't know, man. I was in New Orleans, and there was just <laughs> like every, everybody was around. This guy never made it up <laughs> the street. <laughs> he pawned his tickets for more beer money. Um, all right, no messing around in. What was even more dominant of a performance in my mind than the score indicates, the UW Huskies beat the Texas Longhorns 37-31. Downhorns, baby. Let's go, dogs. Hell of a win. Their first college football playoff win in program, obviously, in the 10-year. Yeah, it's been 10 years. They were only in it once, and they played Alabama. Correct, and lost a a a good game. I remember watching that one. But huge win in the Sugar Bowl over Texas. Um there's a lot to talk about. We also, we're going to have to limit ourselves to a degree because there's a lot I want to talk about in the upcoming Michigan game. Yep. Um, so give me your big thoughts. Okay. I agree with you. It wasn't as close as the score points out until the last two minutes. The, the problem was UW 
as we've said many times, they're, you know, they're a pass first offense and they struggle sometimes to run the ball, run the clock down. And so that gives teams the opportunity to come back. That's a good point. I um, certainly saw that. And so that was definitely a concern. Even when we were up, what was it? 37 to 21, we were up big and we still couldn't really put them away. We needed one more field goal or we needed, we needed one more first down with 50 seconds to go. And of course, Dylan Johnson gets Correct. injured, but, and so, yeah, we'll get to that. But that was horrendous luck. That was not yes. an indication of, of team play. But um, we just, like I was saying, we just needed the first down was like the struggles that we were having later in the game. Um, Texas was very, very formidable. As for my experience, you know, being there, it was like 70-30 split, maybe even 75-25. Like there was, the, the dog fans had like a quarter of the arena and then it was just like orange across the entire way which also by the way makes sense new orleans is not exactly a neutral site no. between texas and washington <laughs> it, um, yeah it fully makes sense um it would have made more sense to have that why is it based on rankings the rose bowl and the sugar bowl is the number, number one, one team, team gets to pick so oh. if they would have picked new orleans it would have been a home game for alabama basically of course that makes a lot of sense yeah. thank you for explaining that yes um so yeah this next game will be in houston that's that'll be a big you know probably more even split but anyways talking more about this game uh and i just i I do want to talk about my experience as well please the texas fans were amazing like they i didn't hear one bad word from them about the huskies we went out after the game and a texas fan walked up to me and was like man that was a great game he was like sharing a drink with me and we just like talked about how like this upcoming michigan game and how he wanted us to win like really Honestly, very stand-up fans from from Texas coming in. That's amazing. I will just say, I went to one college football game this year. It was Tennessee, Florida State, at Florida State. And, oh, my God, Florida State fans are animals. They're animals. (laughs) Um, Which I kind of thought, oh, that's just kind of a a South football thing. But good to hear, you know, obviously, you know, Longhorns aren't necessarily beloved in the college football community. But good to hear that their fans were were classic. I hope you dub fans are thought of in the same regard. Yeah. Uh, they did hate Oklahoma. Their fight song is like finishes with OU sucks. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. Um, but they are, they are, they were in the big 12, so they're going to rotate into the sec. And I wonder if that'll change their ways a little bit, a little bit more smack talk might come from them. Anyways. Um, Queen Ewers. A lot of the Texas fans think very highly of Queen Ewers and he's a junior. He's, he's, very, you know, three years younger than Michael Penix, all things considered. Uh, my buddy and I were talking about it while we were watching the game. He kind of looks like a budget Bo Nix. Yeah. Now that 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 is to say, he's he's way younger than Bo Nix. Yeah, it happens. He has three years less experience. Um, and is coming back for a fourth year. So I think Texas will be very, very good next year. Ewers is... Ewers is committed to coming back. Yeah, he's committed to coming back. And then speaks to that quality of the quarterback draft because prior to this season, he was expected to be a first or second round pick. Exactly. The fact that he's sticking around another year means he doesn't think he's going in the top two rounds and next year I think he will. Yeah, um, which is great for Texas. That'll be really good for their program and make them very competitive immediately in the SEC instead of starting with Manning kind of coming in as a as a redshirt freshman yeah yeah arch against the sec is yeah. all you're looking for it's gonna be an interesting one um so i really respect yours i just don't think he's as dynamic of a playmaker as michael Penix. uh and i think Penix was the best player on that field by far in this game that was obvious that was obvious first of all Penix had one of his best games as a quarterback um he was fantastic hitting shots over the top Shots over the shoulder, between defenders, just throwing some ropes. Like he was fantastic. I, I don't want it to be overstated how mediocre I really thought Quinn Ewers was in this game. And with everything you just said, I don't necessarily respect him to the same degree you do. He doesn't seem like a bad guy, but everything I've heard about him is he's a talent guy that doesn't necessarily care that much. Um, and he was playing scared. He was missing guys. He finished... 24-43 for 318 yards. At least 100 of those yards came on those last two Texas drives. Yes. Both of which UW was playing off as a team does when they're trying to run clock. He was getting throws that UW typically wanted him to get. He had a couple nice balls, but over the course of the game, I thought he was pretty mediocre. 
especially, and this is, I think, this speaks to my more general thought on the Texas offense. They were way too reliant on Quinn Ewers. They had three players, to your note, they really run a three-quarterback ro- quarterback, running back rotation. Nine carries, nine carries, eight carries between the three running backs. Well, Ewers had eight carries for 54 yards. Oh, thank you. Sorry. They really yeah. ran two guys, Baxter and Blue. Um, and both guys were averaging over six and a half yards per carry. How the hell do they not each have 18 carries in this game? Well, so that's that. the beauty of the Washington offense is we're scoring every single possession, and so you have to keep up with us. That's exactly what we called for last week. But you can keep up if you're committing to the run and scoring every drive and eating a ton of time. They were eating us up on the ground. And for some reason, they kept giving the ball to a guy that was completing half of his passes. I think you were... So at the end of the first half, it was tied 21-21, and they were running all over us. Mm. And I think what happened was they were... I don't know I don't know if you know I was there. I wasn't analyzing the game from a, you know overhead perspective of the camera. But it felt like they had tried to keep up with us because we were scoring. They had the turnover to start with the, the running back fumbled. Or yeah. I guess it was the wide receiver who fumbled. Um, and so when that happens, you're just a little bit more nervous to go with the run because we had, I think we had two fumble recoveries in that second half. Yeah. And so it just kind of scared him off of it. Um, That's a good point. And to your point, almost all of those yards were accumulated in the first half. Yeah. Third quarter, we took the big lead and then they were playing very, very time conservative for the entire rest of the game. Yeah. So that was, that was that. I, I, I agree with you. Ewers definitely didn't look good. He, I think he was nine for 18, I think after the first, uh, first half, which was, you know, 50% of your passes it was not great. He was overthrowing a lot of receivers or behind them. Yeah. Uh, really his poise didn't look that great, but I think another year under his belt, he'll be really good next year. Um, Texas fans would love to say, oh, he had another game with 300 yards. I agree with you. It wasn't a real 300 yards where he was dominating the field. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a, we gave them 75 of those last hundred. And I'm sure, I don't think that's what Texas fans are saying. Cause I think they're saying we scored 31 and our quarterback sucked, which isn't completely. Unfair. Well, and they're saying that and they're saying they should have won, but that's they, should, the point. they should absolutely not have won. No. Dub controlled this game. As you said, Texas never led. They tied it a couple times. Their first tie in the, First or second in the second quarter was off a muffed punt yeah. that they took and just immediately put in the end zone. But we were primed in the early second quarter to turn it into a two score game and start building that big league lead. Then they were able to hold it till half with that score. We then scored again and they had a very nice like minute and a half long scoring drive to end the first half which was a little bit of, uh, you know, foreshadowing for the end of that game. But then come third quarter, we finally got one break, busted it open, and they needed a couple things to really go their way to have any chance of getting back. Yeah. This Uh, was not a close game. No. That muff punt really threw the momentum in their direction Mm -hmm. and made made us a little scared, I think, during that first half. We were like, oh, shit, it's tied. Uh, But that muff punt... And I think there was one other mistake that I'm trying to think of right now in the second half. But really, we played super clean ball besides that and that one other mistake that I can't think of right now. I think it was a fumble. Um, if we fumbled, we didn't yeah. lose it. We we, Jeremy Bernard had a fumble that we lost. Oh, yeah, um, okay. But I don't, yeah. Other than that, that and the muff punt, um, we played super clean ball. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like we were the much we were a much better team. Yeah. I will say, so it was a great win. It was a fantastic win. So excited. To your point, their you know game closing offense loses a lot of its luster because they get so committed to the run, and they can run the ball effectively, but it has to not be obvious. That's the only way they are capable of running the ball effectively. Um, and when it becomes obvious, they put up three and outs. It's what they do. This offense is so good. This was the number two ranked offense and the number one ranked passing offense in college football this year they are so good that to with six minutes left and then again with two minutes left decide that the best move is to say we're definitely not going to get this first down so we might as well just run three plays to run clock is ridiculous they convert the current down something like 70 percent of the time the fact that they don't just actively play offensive football with a more conservative lean in those two-minute drills 
is ridiculous. It's so bad. Obviously, they got hosed. They were burning Texas's timeouts. And then with 40 seconds left, they ran the ball and Dylan Johnson got hurt or re-aggravated an injury that had been bugging him all game. And because of a hurt offensive player on the field, they stopped the clock, which gave Texas the 40 seconds it needed to put together that near miracle, miracle uh, last game drive. Um, they sh- just shouldn't have done it. They should have just been playing offense and they could have ended the game very easily. Yeah. The, what I think they should do in those situations. And I, I hope that these adjustments are made because they, they can't just give the ball to Dylan Johnson and get a yard three times and Every then call it. Time. They can't do that. Even do it, on, do it on first down and then play real offense. If yeah. more conservative is like, okay, we're going to run it on first down every drive, that's fine. But you just you can't just keep doing that. Well, there's there's that. And the other side of the thing, the ball is uh, the offense. If you don't go out of bounds, the clock runs. You can still pass. Yes. Take a screen, like do a screen. They were they were so good at getting the ball to Jalen McMillan uh, with a blocking wide receiver on the outside. Do that, and then have him run for four yards. That that's better. It's a much safer play because you're not having Dylan Johnson get tackled by eight dudes. And it's just like it's so much easier for their offense to run that way, or you know do a do a. Why am I blanking on the name? Fake handoff. Fake handoff. Oh, okay. P A is that what it is? Uh, play action. Play action. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't think of the name. <laughs> play action would be good. Do a play action and then get the ball back to Dylan on the like as he's running to the side. He just anything, he, anything besides handing can, it straight up the middle. This offense can, can succeed doing literally anything other than <laughs> running it up the gut when the defense knows you're going to run it up the gut. Mm-hmm. And um, even even when they do that, if they have those options, if they show that, then you can be able to run run and get get some freedom because the defense is trying to react to multiple things. But you can't can't just give it to Dylan Johnson and have him get tackled. Correct. That's the line of scrimmage. Their big fourth down conversion in I think it was the third quarter um, that really helped them burst the game open when they converted on like their own forty or something. It was a ballsy call. Yeah, it was a Dylan Johnson up the gut run for like three yards and the only way it worked was because they had so much trickery and so many moving players and they ran it after a timeout after they didn't like a look and there was so much going on i was certain that they weren't going to run the football i was so sure they were going to throw it and so it was a surprising call and it worked that's the only way that's ever going to work so that was my biggest frustration for the game but we're getting a little bit critical let's talk about the rest of this uw offense against a nice Texas team, they were awesome. Adunze had the quietest 125 yards I've ever seen. I was expecting, until I looked at this box score, to talk about how they did it without Adunze. I literally, <laughs> I remember him catching like three or four nice balls, but the fact that he got to 125, kind of shocking. Yeah, I mean, he did have one for 52, which was a crazy crazy play he also had one that he should have caught who was the pass interference that would have been even like 60 more oh, yeah, yards yeah that would have been a touchdown um, that was that was that was uh Penix's worst throw of the game. i think it was a little under throw he got everything on it though it was like a 65 yard throw <laughs> that's that's fair it was way under throw yes uh, adunze had 10 yards of separation yes in the DB and had to stop yeah to try and make a play on the ball which honestly really good play by that uh db to just tackle him correct because yeah. if you don't do that, it's a touchdown. He's like, catching those all game. And the, honestly, the college rule of 15 yards for a PI like that is kind of rough. But Yeah, what are you going to do? Because then you look at the NFL and you're like, some of these calls are ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it, that one's tough. But Adunze was fantastic. Jalen Polk really brought it again. This is his, He was huge. This was his best game in four or five weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I loved Westover in this game. He had... He had he had six catches for 59 yards, and each one felt like it was just like at the perfect time where it was like for a first down. That was all he was doing was running 10 yards or running five so and just curling. third down, man. I Huge. Swear, six, six receptions. I bet you four of them were for first downs. Yeah. That was – he was my favorite, most surprising part of this offense. I knew he was okay. I think this has been his best game as a Husky, I think by far. Yeah, I think he cemented himself as a future NFL draft pick. Like he was a walk on at UW, and I think he's submitted himself. You know, he's not going to be a top top two rounds. I think he'll make the league, but he'll make the league. Like he'll he'll, he'll be a Will Disley type for the Seahawks, where it's like he'll be at least a backup tight end, That's if fair. not 
no offense. Like he's got the hands for that. I don't know if he's big enough to do all the blocking. When we want to block, we bring in Cope typically. But Westover has shown that he's at least got the hands of a really good tight end. He was really, really big, and they kept going to him on third down. And this is a team with Adunze and Polk and McMillan, and they were going to Jack Westover on third down, which he, he delivered. What are you going to say? Yeah. Um, McMillan had a really nice game, five for 58 and a touchdown. He was, in my mind, our best receiver in the first half. Uh, we kind of got away from him a bit in the second half, but I thought he was really nice. And Jeremy Bernard, three for 48. This team was clicking. And I guess we're kind of burying the lead here again. The reason they were clicking is because Michael Penix Jr. was – 30 for 40 for 430 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. He was, God, he was insane. Like there was like the one thing that they defended well ended up being a touchdown, the Polk tip. Like everything about Penix was just flowing perfectly. His movement around in the pocket and out of like getting past the line of scrimmage when he needed to was amazing. It really showed the month that he had off an ability to kind of rest, heal up and get, get normal. Cause I do feel like he was, he was injured finishing up this season. Uh, just a really solid, solid game by Penix. Yeah, he was fantastic. The line was really good to protect him, but he was also doing an amazing job moving around in the pocket to protect himself from that pass rush. Um, he had a stretch where he completed like 11 in a row that ended with the Polk tip that was a, a cop touchdown. What was so funny about that play, they showed a replay of it. The ball was not tipped by the defender. Really? It hit Polk in the hands. And the defender was right up in him, and the ball went up off Polk's own hands, and then he caught the ball. It was it was a beautiful pass that should never have, it should have just been a caught touchdown. Mm. But uh, it was funny that they were like, oh, and then there's one little mistake from Penix, and you watch the replay, and it wasn't even a mistake. He was he was yeah. unbelievable. Um, it looked like that during the game. You know, I'm it was on the other side of the field for me, so it looked like that happened, and I was you know they caught it and they showed the replay on the screen, and it was like that looked tipped, but other than that. I was. I thought it was a great game. So to hear that, even better. Um, God, yeah, can't say enough about it. Uh, Jalen McMillan, I do want to say, had a really good five catches for 58 yards, just really solid. Bernard, again, was in every facet of the game. He rushed for four yards and was just, he's just like kind of our secret weapon, I feel like, where we throw him in just to give somebody a spell or get him just like like a side, like first he's down. just one of the better fourth receivers yeah. on the team. It kind of sucks <laughs> for him. He'll be a much bigger part of this offense next year once the doomsday is gone. Yes. Yeah. Um, God, can I talk about the defense? Do you have any more to say about the offense? No. No, please. All right. Ufoshio and Braylon Trice had the games of their lives. Braylon Trice, two sacks, three tackle, or I guess a tackle for loss that wasn't a sack. And then Ufoshio also had two tackles for loss, but seven total tackles. And Ufoshio was just kind of everywhere. Like watching that game, I feel like you don't recognize it maybe when you're watching on TV how how prevalent Ilfoshio was. But he was just like, I remember there was a play where a running back was getting free, or maybe it was like a jet sweep, but he was getting free to the side and somebody had missed a tackle and Ilfoshio came from like 20 yards away and chased him down at like the five-yard line. He was just everywhere. And I, at the end of the game, I even thought he had the tipped pass. I know it wasn't him, but at the end I was like, man, that's the dude right there. Um, yeah. Trice with a huge, huge disruption at the end of Ewers. He where he got through the line and should have had a third sack, but Ewers was able to get rid of it. That should have ended the game. That was that play where they put a second back on the clock. Yep. Um, Trice was amazing in this one, too. Yeah, Trice, I think, was easily the best defensive player on the field. Ulofosio and Alfonso Tupatata, Dominic Hanton had nice games. Trice, from the television, you could really see him making an impact. Um and this has been the UW defense all season. Um, they gave up 31 points. They didn't really give up that many points. You know, defenses tend to bend a little at the end of games when you're up big. Um, they generated a couple big turnovers. Uh, they made plays when they had to. And this game came down to them. That last Texas drive was very impressive. 42 seconds left. They drive 60 yards in 20 seconds. And we, we were talking about this today. When they was... You know, first and goal with 15 seconds left, my hand was in my head. My head was in my hand. My hands <laughs> were not in my head. Um, I could not believe that UW blew it and that Texas was about to win this game. I couldn't believe that the refs stopped the clock <laughs> when you, when uh, DJ went down. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. And the fact that they were able to put together uh, three or four straight stops 
in that position to end the game, ending with that amazing pass defense um, to, I can't remember the name of the Texas receiver. He's, I think it was Worthy, right? I know it was the other one, uh, AT maybe. Uh, he's oh. apparently their best red zone threat. He's the one that caught the game-winning touchdown a couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, anyway, the pass defense on that play was amazing. They showed the replay eight times trying to give Texas fans something to complain about, and it <laughs> – he just came over and right at the last second just swatted the ball away. Um, really impressive. Defense came through like they've been doing all year. Um, the two fumbles in the second half were huge. We kept them from scoring in the third quarter. That way we were able to build the lead because of their because of the defense. It wasn't because the offense was playing great. Yeah. We had two takeaways in the third. Yep, that, that, was, that was huge. Um, yeah, that's really all I have to say about the game. It was a great, great win. A super, super fun game. Um, we got another one coming up. Yeah. This is this is why we love sports, man. So this is it. This is what we got. UW, Michigan. Michigan's coming off a nice 27-20 overtime win against Alabama. Um, I want to hear your opinion on that because I was unable to watch. I was preparing for the UW game. Uh, what were your thoughts coming out of that? Uh, Michigan was down late in the game and had to come back and ended up winning in overtime. Correct. Yes, that is true. Um Alabama's offense is not super good. Uh, they're a good running team, uh, especially with Milrow uh, as a great running asset, a quarterback. Milrow is not a good quarterback. He may be someday. He's getting a lot of hype. He's a true freshman playing for Alabama, so I'm not trying to disrespect the guy. He's got great legs. In two years, he might be the best quarterback in college football. He is not a very good college quarterback throwing the ball right now. 16 for 23 for 100 yards. So just to clarify, he had two less completions uh, than Quinn Ewers and 200 less yards. So that kind of tells you 16 completions for 116 yards. That's like seven yards a completion. That is not good. Um, not a deep threat at all. Not a that deep means. threat at all. I mean, honestly, that's kind of one of the only things he can do. He hit a couple, like, 20-yard passes. Really? Everything else is, like, a two-yard pass. He just cannot work the middle of the field at all. This game would not have been close if not for Alabama's running game and, obviously, their defense. But the fact that they scored 20 on this vaunted Michigan defense is a good sign. I think it's a very good sign. Um, and then their defense played good. Uh, against Michigan, but Michigan's offense I did also not think was super impressive. J.J. McCarthy, 17 completions, 220 yards. You know, he came through in big moments. They had a big drive when they were down 7-0 to Alabama um, to come 70 yards down the field and tie it, and then obviously uh, to tie it again late and then win in overtime. Uh, But I really thought it was their passing game. Blake Corum, I thought, kind of carried the day for them. You You mean rushing game? Yes. Yeah. Just want to clarify that. I am really struggling. <laughs> I've got all these great points I want to make. I'm really struggling to speak. Uh, Blake Quorum was really, really good for them. Obviously, had the game-winning touchdown in overtime. Um, but all in all, I thought it was a game of less quality than the UW-Texas game. I think Michigan's offense did not look great. But to be fair, Alabama's a really good defense. And Michigan's defense did, really did not impress me. It really didn't. Um and that's really all I have to say about that game. It does lead into the conversation I want to have about this upcoming UW-Michigan game. Now, as of right now, Michigan is projected to win. They're four-and-a-half-point favorites, which I cannot believe. I get that they're favorites. They, they were expected to be. How is it not like two-and-a-half points? How are they expected to win by like more than one? It should be a pick em. It's it's That is crazy to me. Um, not only that, you know, they've run all their projections and – they have like a 75% chance to win based on the models. What else, You know what else is crazy? The over-under is 55 and a half. Where do they think those points are coming from? It's UW. Like UW has to score UW those points. Scored, if UW doesn't score 25 points in this game, that would be baffling. And if they score 25, then that leaves 27 for Michigan, which is less than the spread. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to touch on is the team schedules and what they mean. So the big point between this matchup is you have the best passing offense in college football going against the number two overall defense and the number one passing defense in college football. So 
obviously that's the big matchup to watch. This Michigan team has completely stopped teams from throwing the ball, and this UW offense has not been slowed by anybody uh, so far this year. Uh, Michigan's offense and Washington's defense, much more ho-hum. There's not a lot to discuss there. Um, They both capitalize at taking advantage of what the other side of the football does for them. But this UW offense has played other great defenses. Michigan's defense was number two in the country overall. Number one was Oregon. We played them twice. We scored over 30 points on them twice. And in both those matchups, I never felt super worried about our offense on any given drive. So we did that to the best defense in football. Twice. They saw us twice. They, just to clarify, they literally they didn't even have to watch tape. They could say, hey, remember last time? And we did it to them again. Um, so I just think that speaks to the fact that not to say Michigan's not going to affect this game. They've got an awesome defensive line. Really, really, really big. It should come into play. And they've got an awesome secondary. And I think we will not... I would expect like something like 27 points from you, Doug. Uh but Michigan, Michigan's offense, or sorry, Michigan's defense, they've played in their entire season, Alabama has been the best offense they've played. Number 11 in the country. Number 11. Their second best was number 30. So they have not played good offenses. The fact that they're ranked number two, it, you know, it's not necessarily coming because those metrics come off performance. Yeah. They're not playing the best teams. Oregon's defense, which was number one, they're playing. They played UW twice. UW, <laughs> and they played USC, who's also a top five offense in the country. So yeah. that was like a real, you know, defensive team. I'm just not sure how much I buy this Michigan defense, especially seeing what Alabama was able to put up 20 points on him. Alabama's put up 20 points against every single team they've played. It's like they didn't they didn't change Alabama at all. Correct. Correct. Alabama had an Alabama game. Um and then offensively, I just think, or for Michigan offensively, they're going to put up points. There's no doubt. I think they are going to run all over UW. And if they're smart, J.J. McCarthy will throw 22 passes. And they're going to lean heavily on the run game. And Coram will have 180 yards. And if he does that, that is how Michigan wins in my mind. Um, but if McCarthy throws the ball 35 times, I think UW wins. Yeah, I think so. You you said the Michigan offense and the Washington defense aren't as important in this game, and I think it's. I really think it's more important than the Michigan defense against the UW offense because it really, and when it comes down to that, it's the Michigan line against our offensive line because I don't think they're you know our receivers have yet to be like they took the challenge of Oregon and they smoked them like the defensive line is going to be what makes the defense big for Michigan, but I think the fact that what we're going to do is put our defensive backs on an island um, against Michigan and make J.J. McCarthy make good throws to beat our defensive backs. And we're just going to have linebackers up the middle. You know, Flosho is going to make eight tackles in this game, tackling Blake Corum or whoever's running the ball. And he'll have to. He's going to have to be they big. They have one of the best offensive lines in the country. Yeah. But we are served in that way in that we're not necessarily going to try to pressure the quarterback, you know. We're going to want him to throw it 40 times this game. And that, that's what I'm saying. We're going we're gonna to throw eight guys in the middle, and they're not going to push back. They're not going to follow the receivers. J.J. McCarthy is going to have to beat us unless Blake Corum and their line can somehow get them, you know, five yards a carry through through eight guys. Like, if they can do that, they should beat us because they're going to run the clock. We're not going to get the ball nearly as much as we want. Time of possession is going to be heavily skewed in their favor. It's going to be very tough. But if we can make them throw the ball and make them catch up to us, if we can get a two-score lead, they're going to have to throw the ball, and they won't be able to keep up. I think that's fair. I think that's right. Just all these spreads, I think, are not taking into account that we've played defenses like this before. They have not played an offense like this before. And, yeah, I think the assumption is that, you know, their pass rush is going to get through and Penix is going to make a couple mistakes. But, you know, we know what it looks like when this offense plays a great defense. We don't – we have no idea. The fact that this Alabama offense is the best offense they've played is pathetic. Yeah. Pathetic. Alabama's offense is not very good. To compare Milrow to Panix and her receiving staff. Yeah, to your point, they can have the two best cornerbacks in the country, and it won't matter. That's what happens when you have 
four amazing receivers, I mean, th- really three proven amazing receivers and a great tight end, is that if you play man, you don't have the guys to shut all of them down on every play. And if you play zone, they're going to eat you to fucking pieces. You yeah. can't play zone. So you're forced to play man. And guess what? Dunze beats everyone. Correct. Correct. McMillan beats everyone. It doesn't yeah. matter who you put on him. Yeah. And then you forget about Polk and Polk gets you over the top. And that's For 77 just, yards in the third play of the game. It's just crazy. <laughs> I just, I'm not buying their defense. I think if they win this game, McCarthy's going to be awesome. They're going to run the football. Panics will probably throw a pick. Um, and that's how it happens. I will get into what, what where I actually think the outcome of this game is going to be. But I just wanted to say, Four and a half points, I think, is ridiculous. I think it's playing off, you know, uneducated college football fans and the name of the Michigan program. Um, and nobody, yeah, nobody has thought about Washington as a good team the entire year. They've been yeah. underdogs for the last seven weeks. Oh, it's so ridiculous, man. And, uh, you know, they're going to find out. I don't think there's a single educated college football fan that would set this line at four and a half points. I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think... It speaks a lot to how we're thinking about this with sports in general when you think about it. Like right now, the best teams, the teams that win championships are the teams with the best offenses. The Texas Rangers scored like seven runs a game in the playoffs. It didn't matter who they were pitching. The other team couldn't keep up with them. Uh, you think about basketball, like the best teams, the teams that win the most, the Nuggets, they're the best offensive player in basketball. He's not good at defense. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they, fuck, they score like... 35 points per game more than the other team. Whatever it is, the best offenses right now are winning against the best defenses. That's just what it's been for the last couple of years in sports. And we're I, I think this is going to be the same type of outcome. Yeah, I agree with you. So we will see. I guess let's give our predictions on the game. I do want to say one more thing. Please. You know how I said last week that everybody's been talking about how Texas was the eighth-ranked passing defense because they had 16 interceptions? Yes. And then I said UW had 16 interceptions on the season. Well, Michigan also has 16 interceptions on the season. Interception <laughs> numbers do not matter. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Interception numbers matter for quarterbacks and nothing else. Yep. And with Penix, with his volume, it makes sense. Um, yeah, him playing a clean game is going to be very important. Yeah. I think, like like we said, you know, when we played Oregon when we, last week when we talked about Texas, we got to win the turnover game. And honestly, the reason that we it was just close, like we said, were the mistakes. So we got to limit the mistakes as much as possible. Mm-hmm. If you're going to catch a punt return... Stand underneath it. Don't stick your arms out to try and catch it. This call a fair so catch. Good, Where did we just yeah. need the ball? Call yes, a fair catch. Let the ball hit the fucking ground, man. This team can drive the entirety of the field. Yeah. You know, don't don't put more pressure on yourself than you need to. Um, okay. Score predictions. I'm going to lead us off because I do think I'm more of a pessimist. Uh, because with everything that I just said, I think four and a half is ridiculous, and I think this is going to be a test, unlike any Michigan's face this year. Um, I do think that Michigan is a better balance of offense and defense. Um, I think this UW team scores something like 27 points. I think Penix throws one pick. You know, I don't think he has his perfect game again. And I think Michigan dominates the ground game, and McCarthy plays really smart and is able to you know, make the right decisions when the ball is put in his hands. I think this is a 30-27 Michigan win. I know that's not optimistic. We just had a long conversation about how UW could win, and UW could absolutely win in a ton of different ways. I think UW is way more likely to blow out Michigan than they are to blow us out. Um, But if Michigan's able to control the ball like I think they can, and if they commit to the run, I think they'll pull it out. I respect that. Uh, I think Michigan is a better team than Texas. On both sides of the football, I think. Um, and we beat Texas by six. We beat Texas by six. Should have been 10. Yes. I should have been one point off of my prediction. I predicted 38-28 last week, and they should not have had that final field goal. Um, that being said, I think Michigan is going to be running the ball a lot. We won't have it as much. We're not going to be able to score. You know, we had, what was it, three field goals? We're not going to have the opportunity for three field goals. We're going to need to convert and get touchdowns because field goals won't be as important. But I have to I have to I have to go UW's way. And in that regard, I think it's going to be 31-27. UW kicks one field goal, scores four touchdowns. 
and UW pulls it out. That's great. Totally, totally, totally reasonable. I just think the biggest thing for me is that Michigan has a better defense than Texas, particularly on the defensive line, and they're great against the run and against the pass. You know, uh, Dylan Johnson averaged 2.3 yards per carry against Texas over the course of the entire game, 2.3 yards per carry, while their running backs were averaging seven, and they lost the game. In my mind, that is a massive coaching blunder and a misunderstanding of the matchup. I know that when we pulled ahead, they had to come back, but they should have been pounding the ground game from the very beginning if they had any understanding. We've said it all year, this UW team struggles to defend the run. And if Michigan doesn't learn the lesson from this entire UW season and especially from that Texas game, then Harbaugh's an idiot and the NFL should be wary of hiring him. I don't think he's an idiot. He's going to see what he's looking at and if they get the ball on their first drive, I bet you McCarthy throws one pass. And I bet you they score a touchdown. Because this UW team just can't consistently guard the ground game. I think, I I understand what you're saying. I, I just, the, so the reason that they went away from the ground game was not because they weren't gaining ground. It was because of the fumbles. UW's defense is very good at creating turnovers in the second half. They're a second half defensive team. We've said it all year. And they're very good at doing that. And when you've created two fumbles off running running plays, they just get scared. Like they, we haven't shown that we can intercept the ball, so they're just like, okay, take our time, pass the ball, make the right plays, and eventually that worked for them because we gave them ground. But I I do think that you're right in the sense that they're going to try and run the football. And if we don't ever turn them over, if we can't get that ball out of Blake Corum's hands on a play, they're going to do it all game, and they're gonna they're gonna probably beat us. But we need to create turnovers, and our defense. I believe that they can do that in the second half. And I really think that McCarthy's going to throw a pick in this game. That's that that's like my number one thought is McCarthy's going to have one really bad play where where he turns it over after Blake Corum's been driving down the field. They're going to be on like the 30. And the and one he's thing about McCarthy pass. is he's been so clean this year, man. He, he's so little is asked of him. But the dude was a Heisman candidate at one point for a reason. He's thrown like four or five picks all year. Guy plays so smart with the ball in his hands. Once again, he's not asked to do anything like what Penix is asked to do. Penix throwing 16 picks is totally understandable, considering that he crossed 5,000 yards. Um, but I just I'm I think you're right. I think if Michigan makes one or two mistakes, UW wins this game. I'm just not confident they're going to make mistakes, man. And at some point, Penix he's thrown 16 picks. What are the odds that he can go against two top 10 passing defenses and not throw one? I would love if the answer is yes. And the answer could be yes. Man, he's just that guy. <laughs> yeah. I would say that this game, the, you know, the stats say it's like 75-25 Michigan. I would say it's 51-49. I really do think it's that close. And I have tons of faith in this UW team. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, but I just got to be I got to be a little careful. Got to be a little conservative. That's I, fair. I know you're belie- you believe what you're saying. You put some money on UW, which I respect. I put a little money on Michigan. <laughs> It's called an emotional hedge. <laughs> I'd be I'd be heartbroken if you Dub wasn't able to pull it out, and if they don't, at least I'll have a little money. Uh, all right. Any last comments on that game before we move on? We're fifty minutes in. Uh, I just still still believe in the line. I'm just going to say that one last time. We have the best line in college football. Yes, our offensive line. So yeah, I still I, very well very much believe in it. If Penix gets sacked, it's happening once. Like, he didn't. He we had they had two tackles for loss. Texas in that game. Everybody said they had the second best. Rush or defensive line in all of college football. Yeah. They had two tackles for loss for like minus five yards. And they did get through three or four times, but every time Panic shook him loose, he was playing so well avoiding yeah. the ball. I do not think that's how Michigan wins this game. No. They're not getting to Penix. That's BS. Oregon couldn't get to Penix. Texas couldn't get to Penix. This line is amazing, and Penix knows what he's about in that pocket. So. He's one of the most cerebral quarterbacks I've seen in college football in a long time. By the record, yeah, just before we do move on, his draft stock is skyrocketing oh yeah over the course of these last couple games he's now projected to be a late first early second round pick so, yeah that's awesome for him fantastic Ma- making money for himself super happy for Penix. hopefully he can he can really solidify that first round status with a huge win here yeah but we'll see i should also say in regards to dylan johnson's injury 
which we didn't really talk about that much. Good call. I had a buddy who was on the plane with Dylan Johnson's uncle, who I'm assuming is Tom. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love these sources. <laughs> and his uncle was saying that it's kind of a recurring injury. So he should be back for this upcoming weekend. Coach also said today yeah. that they're expecting DJ to play yeah. against Michigan. <laughs> Coach is going to say that no matter what, just to dissuade Michigan. But. So just to clarify to our listeners, we've got Coach and Dylan Johnson's <laughs> uncle. <laughs> It's a more real source, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not coach just saying things. I like that. All right. Hey, we love the dogs. Love we, I, the I'm, dogs. I'm all in on them this week. John's a little skeptical. That's how that's how this podcast works. John's a skeptical guy. Correct. Correct. I love being wrong, too, and I've been wrong a lot. Speaking <laughs> of getting wrong, how's that for a transition? I was waiting for you to transition us. Let's talk about the 23-30 to 30 loss the Seattle Seahawks suffered at the hands of the Mighty Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Woe to those who doubt. The mighty Mason Rudolph. Correct. Um, this one was tough, and I was wrong on almost every front. Um, Mason Rudolph was exceptional. He was 18 of 24 for 270 yards. George Pickens was phenomenal. He had 130 yards <laughs> through the air, uh, so I was wrong there. And the tale of this game was the Seahawks' inability to stop the Pittsburgh Steelers' rush. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris combined to rush that ball 40 times. Jim Harbaugh, get your fucking notepad out. <laughs> 40 times the Steelers rushed the ball. And they averaged a combined five yards per carry and carried it for 200 yards. So um, all in all, Pittsburgh's offense looked dominant. I think that speaks to a really, really, really poor defensive showing by Seattle. Yeah, I think our offense was very, very, very fine. Gino, 290 yards on 23 of 33 with a touchdown. Every, like we've said time and time again, everything we ask of Gino, that's all we want from him. That was, yeah, perfect Gino game. Can't believe it got to 290. Yeah, uh, our our defense could not stop Najee Harris. from. He had 122 yards and two touchdowns. That might have been his best game as a pro. As somebody who's had Najee Harris on my fantasy dynasty team for since his rookie year i can actually say i think with confidence this was his best game as a pro yeah um we even ran the ball well kenneth walker 10 carries 5.3 yards per carry so yeah our offense was good but they just didn't have the ball a lot i think yeah that's that's what it was is they had 46 carries and 24 pass attempts that's what is that 70 plays Mm -hmm. we had 33 pass attempts and 15 carries that was it. They had almost 20 more plays than us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really disappointed in the Seahawks' defense. Um, they have been, I think, a good story all year. I think we were surprised with how good this unit was. Um, and in this game, I just I wasn't really impressed by anybody. Um, yeah, this, this game really made me uh, eat my words from what I talked about at the start of the season with the Seahawks' defense being to- a top-10 defense. Mm-hmm. I really thought they were going to take a step forward, and I just think that they – they need some better better uh, defensive line players, and they need a better linebacker than just Bobby Wagner. I love Bobby Wagner, but he's, he's just, also old as the fucking He's hills. old, you yeah. can only He had 14 tackles today. You can only ask so much from the guy. I really think the story today was our secondary. Witherspoon was not impressive at all. I wasn't really impressed with anybody back there. Um, I think the fact that every time that we got too pressed – into the box that they were able to take the top off the defense uh, really, really hurt. It's the reason they were able to to sustain the running game the way they were is because every time our linebackers were creeping too close and our our corners were pressing up, uh, they would just hit us over the top again and again and again, just bonk us with the Jordan Pickens stick. Bonk. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. And we just start running it back down our throats. So, yeah, this was discouraging. It was unexpected. Uh, it is not the end. I talked to several Seahawks fans. I was watching the game with some buddies. And they were like, yep, we're out. We ha- are eliminated from the playoffs with this loss. And that is not the case. There is still a path, and it's still a reasonable path to the playoff. It's very simple. We need to win against the Arizona Cardinals. What? <laughs> who have their draft pick, and they're currently, I think, at number two or number three, and have no reason to win. Cardinals GM. Get Kyler off the field, man. There's nothing to be gained by winning this football game. And the Seahawks have everything to play for. And we need the Green Bay Packers to lose a game to the Chicago Bears, who have been playing super hard. 
they've they've been scoring like 35 points a game for the last few. Yep, their offenses looked awesome. Their defenses looked really sharp. And obviously the Packers have a ton to play for, and the Bears technically don't. They should really lose to get a better pick for themselves in the upcoming draft. But, but they also have the first pick from the Panthers. Yes, and they are in – my dad is a huge Bears fan, so I've actually been talking to a lot of Bears football recently, and they need to play as hard as they possibly can this game. And ownership needs to go to uh, Justin Fields and say, man, play your absolute heart out because they have a super tough decision as to whether or not they should. You know, it seemed like the obvious decision. They're going to draft Caleb Williams, who's one of the better prospects we've seen recently, um, and they're going to trade Justin Fields. Justin has been phenomenal. He's been really, really, really good. In his last three games that I was talking about, they've scored so many points. He's been yeah, super great. He's been awesome. And, like, he started the year really strong, too. He had he missed with injury and then had a couple rough games. But he's had a nice season. Um, and I think he needs to go out again this game and really prove it last game of the season against the Packers, who've beaten them, like, 11 times straight or something like that. So it's a big rivalry game as well. But he needs to prove that he's going to be the starter and that they should either trade down or, or take Marvin Harrison Jr. or whatever. With yeah, the first overall they sh- they, what they really should do is if they, they want to win this game, they want Justin Fields to be as good as possible so that they can trade down and feel confident. Correct. And then, you know, you don't want you don't want to take not a quarterback with the first pick in teams who They'll be able will to trade, trade up. They, yeah, they could trade down to like three or four. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like I, the commanders would love to trade with them yeah, in that three or four spot. And I would love Caleb Williams there where he will not hurt us. Get him far away. <laughs> Get him far, far away. He's, he can keep the red and gold and just go to the other side of the country. Yeah. Talk talk to the Eagles and Cowboys a little bit and make yeah. them a little worried. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but anyway, so we need – we're all big Bears fans this week. Yes. We need the Packers to win. Or sorry, the Packers to lose and the Seahawks to win. Um, if the Seahawks lose, it's basically over because there's no, current. If, if the Seahawks lose, it is over. Yeah, so with yeah, with Tampa Bay and New Orleans. Yeah, they will if they lose, they're out, and, and they should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. So if they lose, and then all of those t- other teams lose, like if Green Bay loses, Tampa Bay loses, the Saints lose, and the Saints play the Falcons, so the the Falcons win. They're all eight and nine. The Seahawks do not win out in that in that regard. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they they need a win. And this Cardinals game is where they where they will get that. Hopefully. They don't even literally need to say, "Oh, it's winnable." It's like, yeah, well, it's the season, so they either do it or they don't. Yeah. So and they do have a good running back in James Conner, who concerns me a little bit, but he should not play. He's been injured. He was injured for like four weeks of the season. This Seahawks team has been just fine against the rush all year. I really think this Steelers game was an anomaly, and or them firing their offensive coordinator has turned them into the best offense in football. <laughs> One of those two things, because they've looked super good in their last two games. I mean, they had, what, 590 yards of total offense? Yeah. Jesus Christ. They crossed 500 yards last week against the Bengals as well. Yeah. They've looked they've looked scary. Um, anything else you want to say on the Hawks before we go on to value dogs? I think we know what it is. Do your job and root for the Bears. That's all there is. No, I'm good. I, we did this kind of last week. We were very confident in the Hawks, and it didn't work. And we're going to do it again. We're going to try and be right this time. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident. I'm yeah. pretty confident. The, the Cardinals should want to lose, and it's really going to be interesting. They probably want to lose, and they really want to stay at two so that they can take Marvin Harrison because they're not going to take a quarterback. They, they they don't need one with Kyler Murray. Yeah. They would love to get like a left tackle or an offensive yeah, tackle. Yeah, they, they, they might trade down. Yeah. They might trade down. Um, um so, yeah, two teams, the top two picks with a very similar scenario, to be honest. Yeah, Kyler and Justin, similar guys as well. All let's, right. Let's do it. Yeah, moving on to everyone's favorite segment to end the show, Value Dogs. Last week was fantastic. I went one and two, <laughs> which gets me further negative, which is great. Once again, it's not about being right. It's about being right or wrong. You just don't. Consistency. You don't want to be at 500. So if I'm getting enough of these wrong, we're making viewers money by betting against me. So with that in mind, I'm going to continue to try to be wrong by trying my freaking best to be right (laughs) and hope that I can keep this trend going. Yeah, let me give everybody some stats from this last week. So John goes one and two. He's now at 17, 25, and three. That's winning money. That's winning money for you folks out there. And then uh, I went two and one last week. I had a nice... uh, Bears win and uh, or no, I had a Raiders cover and a Patriots cover. Two covers. It's for, might be the first time we've done hey, that. All covers season. without winning. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, 
And underdogs went seven and nine against the spread last week. So kind of right on par with where we were, about five hundred as a as a unit. I'm really sorry about that two in one week, man. That means you're getting closer to five hundred. That's that's gross. That's I'm the just, worst place to be. Like, if why I, do you try to be good at this like me? Three weeks ago, we said that uh, the underdog winning percentage was like forty six mm. against the spread. I just want to hit that forty six percent mark. I want to be exactly where the underdogs are, so that next next year when they're fifty five percent, like they always have been, I'm just right back with them. Yeah, just for the record, too. We're rookies, you know? Yeah. We're going to slump next year. <laughs> Third year, we're going to be fantastic. Got to give us time. we the Justin Fields of value dogs. Yeah. Um, one last note before we actually make our picks. This is the last week of the NFL season. A lot of the best teams are sitting players. Some of these lines are very weird. It's Yeah, it's going to be a weird one for you right. guys. Like, but trust us. This is what we this is what we want. This is what we play for. The Steelers are not minus four against the Ravens because <laughs> of how big that Seahawks win was. <laughs> Just for the clarification. Uh, I took the first one last week. You want to go first? I do. I do really want it. Uh, and I am sticking with this uh, storyline in my in my head that I've created and been talking about the last two weeks that the NFC South is going to be a shit show at the end of the year. Every team is going to be tied at 8-9, and nine, <laughs> except for, who is it, the Panthers? So it's just going to break a cue stick and make them fight to the death <laughs> for it. With that, I am taking the Falcons plus three against the Saints. They still Falcons still have a chance. They have technically a better chance than the Saints at making the playoffs uh, if they, they win this game. Win. Yeah, they just they, have to win this game. They have better tiebreakers. Yeah. So I like the Falcons plus three. I think they're going to be playing hard, and the Saints are just they are just not that good. I don't know how they keep winning. I don't know how they keep winning. <laughs> the Saints suck. No, I'm completely with you. All, Arthur Smith is also playing likely for his job, so he'll get the guys as motivated as they're willing to be. Yeah, maybe he'll promise Bijan three carries this game to really get him pumped. I was also just in New Orleans and placed a thumbtack on the field so that somebody on the Saints sideline would step on it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a good pick. Uh, those teams are also close. Getting any sort of value is is a good thing. Uh, with my first pick of value dogs this week, I'm taking the Chiefs plus three and a half against the Chargers. Um, I'm assuming they're sitting Kelsey um, and maybe somebody else. I believe at this point they have the West locked up, so they don't have a ton to play for. But I'm not picking Easton Stick to win in a game against a Chiefs team that, one, should be playing hard because they really need to get some positive momentum going before the playoff, and two, has a top 10 defense in the NFL. I'm not picking Easton Stick to win a game. Um, so, Do you okay. know who the Chiefs' backup QB is? Is Mahomes not playing? I would assume he's not playing since they don't need him to. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't care. He's probably better than Easton Stick. Yeah, six points is a lot for that game. Yeah, three and, uh, and I, a half. I three like and half. three and a half. Oh, it was six for the Browns. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, thought they, I thought it was the same thing. Either um, way, though, even a field goal. I just, if we're picking a game yeah. between two shitty backup, backup quarterbacks, give me the team with a better defense and three and a half points. Yep, yep. No, I like that. I really thought about taking it, but was against it because I really am sticking with my storyline, and we are going with the Panthers plus five and a half against the Bucks. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. This is a big uh, NFC South week, uh, and I'm excited. I think the Panthers, they still are playing. They, they still want um, – Bryce Young to get experience. They have no reason to lose. They have no reason to lose. They, you know, it's not going to do them any good to win, but it's not going to do them any good to lose. So, I think they're playing for Bryce Young to get experience and to mess with the Bucks season. That's kind of all it is. Hundred percent. They want to create just the wackiest playoff scenario of all time. Yeah. And I think you know it's a plus five and a half. They're going to be at least trying, and we get five and a half points. I want that. Yeah, I'm looking at four and a half here, but regardless. My big issue with that game is you're picking a team with points going up against a team that has a better offense and a better defense and a lot to play for. I understand, but I had to do this for the storyline. If I take the Falcons plus three and also think the Bucks are going to win, then what am I doing? Absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I agree with you. And I'm glad you did because that leaves me a funner pick. Um, I will take the Bears plus three against the Green Bay Packers. I not only want this to happen, which is a trend of my next pick as well, which I'm sure you're not going to take. Um, and also, I just think they're, they have been peaking just as the Packers have been looking more and more vulnerable. Jordan Love does not look that good. Justin Fields look like a, looks like a stud. DJ Moore looks like the third best receiver in professional football. Um, 
I really like this Bears team. Their defense is young and fast, too. So I really like the Bears right now. Um, and I like that I can still somehow get plus points on them. Yeah, I, I we talked about this before the pod. I yeah. liked it, and I'm not going to deviate from that. I want this as my third value dog pick. So you get to make the next one as well. Oh, shoot. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I thought, That's not a problem, dude. This is the first time we've matched up in a while, but I, stole, I think, it, I I think stole it's worth your it. Pick. You did tell me you liked it. I thought you were going with a different one. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> after that theft, I know you're taking the Colts now, right? I'm not. Wow. After that theft, I'm taking another pick that I would just like to happen. I guess this one's a little more of an emotional hedge, actually. But I'm taking the New York Jets plus one and a half against the New England Patriots. Mm. Um so I'm taking it for logical reasons. I think the Jets have a really good defense. I think the Patriots' offense sucks. And I think, yeah, they're obviously the Jets' offense is bad and the Pats' D is good. But we've got two bad offenses going against two good defenses. I'll take the one that's getting points. And then the second part of that is I would love to be wrong. Not only do I want to be wrong literally so that my record gets worse so that I can make more money for our listeners, but I also want to be wrong because that would mean the Patriots are getting an even worse pick than they already are. Um, what it really is is uh, we should start making this not the value dogs anymore. We should just make it like we just want to make take lines because you're basically betting Patriots minus one and a half. No, no. I think or Jet, but, I mean, you want Jets plus one and a half. Once again, I'm taking the line that I think is right. Like I do think Jets being fared in this game. You, just the way you're wording it makes me feel like you like <laughs> No, you you want to pick the, the I, minus. I one. think this is a pick. Em. I think I really yeah, think that's the, fair. The Jets have a better defense than the Pats. The Pats probably have a little bit of a better offense than the Jets. But Brees Hall's been looking really good recently, and I do want to be wrong, but I think I'm going to be right. That's very fair. I appreciate that one. I looked at it and I was like, man, the Jets are not favored in this game. Uh, it's just going to be a game of fumbles and interceptions. And let's see, Bailey Zappi of the game of your life. Yeah. I do like Billy Zappi more than any of the Jets quarterbacks. I will say that. that is, yeah, Trevor Simeon, I think, is currently starting. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think so. So much better than that Zach Wilson guy. Thank God for Trevor Simeon. Yeah. Well, hey, there you have it. The week 18 and last value dogs of the 2023 NFL regular season. Yeah, we'll be able to tell you guys afterwards exactly how bad we really were. <laughs> Um, anything else before we head out, John? This was a very, very football-filled podcast, but it's about that time. Yeah, stop lying, people. Come on, what do you expect? Um, no, we'll get into more of the other good stuff as football season winds down and those seasons crank up. But uh, for now, just excited to get to Monday and watch some high-level yeah. football. Next week, you will have a very, very intense discussion about this UW-Michigan game, Yep, and we are stoked for it. All that being said, hey, if you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, you can also email us your questions or comments or concerns at soundupseattle at gmail.com. You can find me, Tyler, at Tycard50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John still playing Mass Effect 3. He's uh, grinding. He was grinding when I got home, and he will be grinding after this pod. Somebody has to stop the Reapers, okay? <laughs> it's not going to be you. Uh, and with all that being said, let's go dogs, baby. Go dogs. One more time, baby. Go dogs. Go last, dogs. Last one of the year. <laughs> <laughs>